Uh, my name is Johnny, and I am the campus pastor here at the bridge. We are excited uh, that you came out to be with us this morning. If you're watching online, we're excited that you stayed in to be with us this morning. Uh, the joy of technology is that we get to do this together wherever we are, and I'm super grateful uh, for all of you who have decided to make worship a part of your morning, whether that's in person or whether that is online. So uh, my wife and I used to live in northwest Iowa. We lived there for about five years, and we have some friends that would come visit us in northwest Iowa every summer. Now, uh, I, a lot of people who attend this church have northwest Iowa roots, so you always have to be careful when you say this. But if you have friends that are willing to drive to northwest Iowa and stay with you for multiple days, you know that those are good friends, okay? Uh, you know that those are good friends because the only thing that you can do with them is take them to the Blue Bunny uh, ice cream parlor. That's the, whole, that's the whole thing in Northwest Iowa. So they'd come visit us in Orange City. And one night after our kids went to bed, we decided we we're going to play a little board game. We got uh, cr one of the Cranium games. I don't know uh, which one that it was, but if you've ever played Cranium, you know it's like a quiz game. It's like general knowledge type of stuff. So we get out this Cranium game and we start uh, you know, asking the questions and doing the quiz. And very quickly it becomes clear to me that my friend and I are about to get destroyed by his wife and my wife. Uh, because my friend has zero cultural IQ. He's never heard of, of most of the celebrities in the questions. He's, he's never heard of the TV shows or the movies. He's not a political animal. And so it was just like question after question after question was just going right over his head. And I realized we are going to be in some serious trouble. But it became then a game within the game just for us to make fun of my friend and how little he knew about anything, it seemed like. Uh, and, and he got so frustrated with us that he said something that we still joke about to this day. He said, well, I'm sorry I'm not like you, and I don't read all the magazines in the grocery store checkout line. Like, yeah, I have a uh, subscription to People magazine. I don't. But he was so frustrated, he just couldn't understand how we knew all of these things that we knew. And I, I'm not sure what the answer was, but it certainly was not grocery store magazines. These days, that was about four years ago, these days I feel actually very envious of my friend. Because these days it seems like uh, we are inundated with information. We are inundated with cultural messaging. My friend uh, now would probably know more of those answers than he did then because it's just become so much the air that we breathe. As our world gets more connected, as our internet lives become more and more part of our real lives, the gap is closing between who we are online and who we are in person. And as the gap closes, we are just inundated every day, day in, day out, with cultural messaging, with ideas, with news, with whatever it is. And anymore, I'm a little bit envious of my friend because I think it would be nice to not know everything that's going on all the time. It would be nice maybe to have a flip phone again. You know what I mean? It would be nice. And yet, it feels like an impossibility. Once you're that connected, once you're that invested in what's happening in the world and what's happening in culture, it's very difficult to step back and to, and to walk away from those things. So there's this, there's this space that we occupy where we are culturally inundated. Uh, and yet a place where we know that culture is not everything, that culture is not all that there is, that the messaging we hear from the world around us is flawed, right, in some way, no matter where we're getting our news, where we're getting our inf information, our entertainment, whatever it is, none of that is a perfect source of truth. None of that is a perfect source 
of reality. And so we're stuck in this place where we're consuming and we're knowledgeable and we know what's going on. We can play cranium really, really well. But we also, as followers of God, have this tension with all of that information and all of that entertainment. And so I thought about my friend this week as I read our lectionary passages for today. And I thought maybe he's on to something, actually. Maybe him not knowing anything about culture, right? There's something that we can all learn about that. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that cultural awareness is bad. I'm not saying that having a high cultural IQ or knowing what's going on in the news or anything like that is bad. I think it's important that we remain connected. I love the quote by Karl Barth about reading the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. But Today, I think the encouragement for us from the lectionary readings is not to put down the Bible and only have the newspaper or the iPhone, if we're going to talk in, you know, more modern contexts. What does it mean now to be guided as the people of God by the Word of God? So let's get into uh, two of the lectionary passages today, uh, and then uh, hopefully there's something for us here, an encouragement um, from God. So the first we're going to read is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul has gone on for a minute, and now he reaches this. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And now from the book of Psalms, chapter 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge, is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion, and the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay all according to their work. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, when we first started this series that we're in, this year-long series called Calling Together, we use the lectionary every week. There's four different passages to choose from. And I joked with Sean at the very beginning of this. I said, Sean, I don't know what I'm going to preach every week, but I can tell you I'm never going to preach out of Psalms. It's not going to happen. It's absolutely, did I not say this to you, Sean? Yes. I told him it's not going to happen. I'm not going to do it. And it's not that I don't like Psalms. They're beautiful. Obviously, Psalms is a beautiful, beautiful book. But I don't know how to preach Psalms that well. I like a good narrative passage. I like a good storyline with some characters that I can dig into where I can give you some background, where I can tell you the backstory to the story. And in Psalms, we don't really get much of that. What we have in Psalms are really a lot of poems. And it's best to let poetry speak for itself. If you start to explain poem, 
uh, a poem, you run the risk of ruining it. So this morning, I don't think Psalm 62 needs any explanation. You heard the words. I would encourage you to go and read the words again when you get home. They're beautiful, beautiful words. If you're anything like me, you don't need an explanation of the words this morning. You need an opportunity for the words to sink into your soul today. And the part that hit me the most as I read this was the very opening line. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And what struck me about that line, for, for God alone my soul waits in silence, is that in my life, I never have silence. I never have silence. I have four children and two dogs and a full-time job, and I used to at least have like a 10-minute commute every day, but I don't anymore. There's nothing. There's no silence ever at any given moment in my life. And then the times where I do have a chance for silence, maybe after my kids have gone to bed or maybe early in the morning before they've woken up, I usually spend that time not seeking out silence, but instead filling up my mind with whatever my phone is blasting at me or whatever the TV is calling out to me with the latest show to binge watch. If I'm really honest, I have to realize that even in the moments where I could seek out silence, I'm not seeking it out. Instead, I'm letting my phone or the TV or whatever dictate to me what I should be paying attention to. And so the question then is, what space is there to hear from God when my life is filled with noise? The rest of the passage that we just read from Psalm 62 flows from this moment of silence. My soul waits in silence for God, and then when we experience God in that moment of silence, these are the things that happen. We have an experience of hope. We enjoy the recognition that God is our refuge. We find the ability to pour our, out our heart before God. All of this flows from this moment of silence when we wait for God in that place. Dietrich Bonhoeffer succinctly defined the type of silence that the psalmist is talking about like this. He said, silence is nothing else but waiting for God's word and coming from God's word with a blessing. Waiting for God's word and then coming from God's word with a blessing. So if I could press that definition out a little bit further, I'd say that silence means shutting out all of the other words around us in pursuit of the Word of God. We, we can't hear the Word of God if we're never shutting out the other words that are inundating us all the time from our the technology, from our devices, even from the people we love in our lives. If we never find a moment away from all of those words, when do we hear the Word of God? And I think that's important for us to remember because silence is not about quiet, it's about listening for the voice of God. And what happens when we spend too long without silence, too long without hearing the voice or the word of God, I worry that our ability to hope in God, our ability to trust in God, our ability to see God as our refuge, even our ability to experience the love of God, all of that is eroded when we don't have time to hear the words of God. If waiting in silence is the space where God meets us, and then all of these gifts flow from that, what happens when we never wait in silence? It erodes our hope, our trust, and our experience of the love of God. 
We become so bombarded with all the other words, all the other messaging, all the other noise around us that we begin to feel unmoored. In place of hope, we feel fear. In place of trust, we feel skepticism. Not about God necessarily, but about the world and our place in it. And instead uh, of feeling hope, the words of Psalm 62 feel far away. They feel like nice platitudes. Well, what does that even mean to find my hope and rest in God? What does that even mean? I can't even experience that because I'm so inundated with all the other words coming in around me. Sure, I'd like to feel hope, but have you seen the world? What, what is there to feel hopeful about? If we receive all of these messages and we believe that that's all the world is, is what we're told that it is, it's impossible to feel hope. How am I supposed to believe that power belongs to God when it seems like everything around us is falling apart? So uh, I'm a big Chicago Cubs fan, but I am not as big of a Cubs fan as I used to be. When I was 16 or 17, I followed the Cubs religiously. I listened to their games on the radio whenever I could. Uh, I knew every player on the roster. I could tell you who was pitching that day and what their ERA was. I mean, I was into it. I was into it. And one of the things that I had uh, at that time was I would get the daily score of the Cubs game texted to me. This was before smartphones, right? So there was no like ESPN notifications to depend on. I had to like sign up for this plan to get Cubs scores texted to me. And so uh, I would get that. And every, uh, the Cubs play a lot of like afternoon games. So a lot of days around five o'clock, I'd get this text with the Cubs score. And I realized after a while that what that text said set the mood for the rest of the night. If the Cubs win, it's, it's a good night, you guys. We're going to have a good night. If the Cubs lose, my mood is shot for the rest of the night. It's going to be a terrible, terrible night. And uh, if you know how the Cubs were, you know, 8, 9, 10, 15 years ago, it was bad nights most of the nights, okay? They were not a winning team back then. It had a huge impact on my mood, what was going to happen with the Cubs. So the passage we read first from 1 Corinthians this morning is a, is a pretty strange passage. Paul is saying, if you have a wife, live like you don't have a wife, if you're, if you're mourning, live like you're not mourning. If you're joyful, live like you're not joyful. It's, very, it's kind of a strange message that we're receiving. And if you read the rest of that passage, it's not really any less strange, actually. Uh, this is the passage where Paul uh, says to people, hey, if you want to get married, don't. Yeah, that's in there. A lot of people don't tell you that's in the Bible, but Paul is a big proponent of not getting married. That's kind of what he tells people to be pursuing with their life. And it's strange. It feels weird to read that in the Bible. Uh, but the whole point of the passage that Paul is trying to make is that our life lived as citizens of the kingdom of God is lived in pursuit of God and of what God would have for the world. And Paul is concerned that marriage can become a distraction. Family can become a distraction. Really, anything can become a distraction from what our central calling is, which is the pursuit of God and God's kingdom. And so Paul says, no matter your situation, married or unmarried, happy or sad, culturally aware or not, our focus should primarily be on God. And then he says the why. Because the world as we know it, the world in its current form, Paul says, is passing away. 
To 18-year-old Johnny, Paul would say that a Cubs fan should live as one who doesn't love the Cubs because your mood should not rise and fall on the win and loss column. That should not be where your focus lies. To 34-year-old Johnny, uh, Paul may say the, the world news, the political news, the cultural news of the day should not dictate what your hope is. It should not dictate where your faith lies. It should not dictate how you feel and how you enter into the world. The thing that dictates who we are and what we do with our lives is that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. This world, this culture, this country, this moment that we are in, all of these things we look around and call the real world are vapor compared to the kingdom of God. They are all passing away all of the time, but the kingdom of God endures forever. And so we put, when we put our, our eggs, as it were, in, in all of these different baskets, and we're going to, um, our lives are going to be dictated by what's going on around our mood and all of this different kind of stuff. When that happens, we have misplaced our affections. So I think it's important to say that none of this means we should be disconnected from our culture. None of this means we should be disconnected from the world around us. On the contrary, if we were to disconnect totally from the world around us, we would lose our ability to bear witness to the fact that God's kingdom is the great hope to the world around us. If we disconnected completely, we would lose our ability to be a witness, to be a testimony, uh, uh, to stand and, and point back to God and say, this moment is not all that there is because God is forever. So this is not a call to disconnect. We cannot reflect hope in the midst of hopelessness or faith in the midst of skepticism if we step away from our culture. And the truth is that in the midst of the roiling of our culture and the world around us, the truth is that we, the people of God, are called to be a signpost to the reality that God is, as the psalmist says, our rock and salvation, our fortress, our deliverance, and our refuge. And so that's the balance. That's, that's the moment where 1 Corinthians 7 and Psalm 62 come into conversation with each other. The tension where we are staying culturally connected, where we're, we're maintaining a level of cultural relevance. Not that you have to seek it out, you know. If Pastor Gary is listening right now, he doesn't, ha you know, he doesn't know all the stuff that maybe I know, and that's okay. You're as relevant and as connected as you are. It's not a call to turn away or to dig in any deeper. It's a call that where you are, is not the place that should be swallowing up who you are. Your level of connection, your level of awareness, your level of, of interest in, in culture or politics or whatever it is, none of that swallows up your true identity, which is a citizen of the kingdom of God. We can be socially aware and culturally connected without allowing ourselves to be swallowed up by the fe fear and anxiety that our culture thrives on. If that's a, a, a difficult thing to imagine this morning, you are not alone. It's, it's much easier to either shove your head in the sand or just give up and get swept up in the drama of our culture. It's much easier to do those things, and I've been guilty of both of those responses at different times 
in my life. But this morning, I pray that we can let these words from Psalm 62 deep sink deep into our souls and remind us that we don't, we don't have to get swept up into this world, neither do we have to completely diminish what this world is in our minds and, and stay irrelevant from the world, that there's a place in between, and this is a place where our hope is in God. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. And when we, when we occupy that space where we recognize that the ultimate power belongs to God, and yet God steadfastly loves us in all of that power, it helps us stay connected to the world around us without getting swept away in the world around us. It helps us live in that tension point as citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your steadfast love. I thank you that we can trust you, God, that we do not have misplaced hope when we place our hope in you, God, that you are a refuge. And that, God, it doesn't mean that you carry us to some faraway place but that you do that with us right here, God, where we are. That in your power and in your love, we can live in this world even as our eyes are fixed on the kingdom of heaven. So God, I pray that your spirit would indwell us today. I, I pray that you would give us a modicum of your power, God, that we could live empowered as citizen kingdoms together today. We love you, God, and we know that you love us infinitely more than we can ever appreciate or imagine. I pray all this in your name.